a uh, perfect sermon for a vision Sunday. It's going to be in Acts 21, 1 to 6. So you can turn to Acts 21, verse 1, and we're going to go to verse 26. And let me begin by asking you a question. Are you afraid of the future right now? Are you anxious? Have you lost sleep? Do you have a knot in your stomach? Is there something or several things or everything about what's coming that is freaking you out? It's making you tense. Well, this sermon is for you. It's called Fearlessly Following Christ. We're going to learn how to trust God with our future together. And we're going to learn from the example of the Apostle Paul. He's finishing up his third missionary journey. And we have a slide here of the map from his third missionary journey. We've showed it so many times. I'm not going to go into detail on all the different cities. But today alone, there's 13 different stops, places mentioned. But he's been gone for several years. And he's circling back around. And we are going to chart his trip back to the lower right where he hits Jerusalem. We're going to hear one of the greatest stories ever told today. Paul was sent out by the religious leaders in Jerusalem to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. He was saved around AD 33, shortly after Christ died and rose again. He, just, he will spend 24 years going and telling everyone that Jesus is alive as a missionary. He'll spend most of those 24 years out of the country. He's only been back to Jerusalem five times that we know about. But now it's time for him to head home, testify in Jerusalem, and God is telling him that he is going to get in huge trouble. So we are going to pray and we're going to learn how we can fearlessly follow Christ in loving spiritual community. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we get into this pivotal time in Paul's life where the missionary journey stopped and he's going to go to jail. He doesn't know how long he's going to have, but he just knows that his time has come to suffer in Jerusalem for the name of Christ that he once tried to destroy. From his faith, show us how we can fearlessly face the future in spiritual community. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, here we are, Acts 20, 21, verse 1. It says, when we had parted from them, one translation says, torn ourselves away from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. Having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. Notice Luke is saying we, the author is now on board writing eyewitness testimony, what a time this would have been. When we uh, had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So everybody say, don't go. No, I mean really mean it. Come on. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. Said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemy. And we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with them. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming to us, he took Paul's belt 
and bound his own feet and hands. And said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Everybody say, don't go. Don't go. Really mean it. Say it again. Don't go. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Wow. Since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. You can write this down, number one. Surrender your future to Christ. With these long narrative passages we're going to find in the rest of the book of Acts, I'm going to read a lot of verses and we're going to, we're going to more reflect on them. In longer passages, you can't really go verse by verse, word by word, but you can lift out the principles to reflect on. And the first major principle we see modeled here in the Apostle Paul's life is this. Surrender your future to Christ. What's the one thing you wish you knew about your future? The economy? Your job? How your kids are going to turn out? What happens next on your favorite show? The next lottery ticket numbers are. What do you wish you knew? Careful what you wish for. In Acts 20, 23, we'll put it up on the screen. This screen. I only know, Paul said, that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. God's showing him his future, and he's getting him ready because he's about to go to jail. He's going to suffer, and he has to surrender. I don't know if your future is going to be better than you can ever imagine or worse than you could possibly describe. God knows it, and you have to surrender to follow him through it. The Holy Spirit comes up several times here. Verse 4, through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go. Verse 11, thus says the Holy Spirit. So here's a question that arises from this text. You can write this down. How do I follow the Holy Spirit? How do I follow the Holy Spirit? In this text, we have prophecies, we have visions, we have warnings. I want to be following the Spirit. How do I do that? It's important to know, first of all, that visions and prophecies are incredibly rare. Everyone say, incredibly rare. Incredibly rare. Visions and prophecies are incredibly rare. They're not the everyday way we're to follow the Holy Spirit, so we have to know what we're seeing in the text is rare. We see some characters here who are also used of God greatly in the New Testament. When they show up, God is doing something special. When Agabus, a prophet who predicted a famine, shows up to Philip's house, where Agabus is a prophet, Philip's a deacon and an evangelist, and Philip's four unmarried daughters are prophets, God's saying something special. Now, you're not going to have that this week. But Paul had it. You remember Philip shared the gospel, right? With the Ethiopian. He's got, he's got a family that's four daughters who speak on God's behalf. Agabus shows up and talks for the Holy Spirit. This is not normal. 
It's not normal for your small group leader to come to you, take your belt off, tie himself up with it, and say, this is your future. But Agabus does this to show that God is revealing something at this time that Paul needs to know. So how do I follow the Spirit? Well, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit begins with understanding that when you are born again, because you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are given new life by God's Holy Spirit. The Spirit takes up residence in you, and you become a temple of the living God. If you want to follow the Holy Spirit, it's crucial that you understand that if you believe in Jesus, the Spirit is in you. So you don't have to go chasing some super Christian to find God's will for your life. So many people are deceived. They think God's will, God's power is out there somewhere when when you have God's Holy Spirit, he is in you. And he will lead you. And therefore, if you are not born again, if you are not a Christian, if you have not repented of your sin and received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you do not have the Holy Spirit in your life, and God will not lead you like he could. So we have to follow the Holy Spirit, and that begins when we're born again. Are you born again? If so, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And God usually won't tell you the future, but it's amazing that he could. Have you ever thought to yourself that God knows everything about everything about every day between now and when you go on to the next life? He can tell you everything about your future. Do we see that paralyzing someone in the Bible? Is Paul like, well, I guess I'll just watch the sovereignty show while I eat my popcorn? No, this is an active embracing of something that's beautiful about God. He knows your future and he governs it. So you can trust him as you follow him actively. How do I follow the Spirit? Surrender your future to Christ. Write this down. Know and apply God's word. The number one way we can know God's will is to know God's word. If you don't know God's word, you're not going to know his will. For Paul, God spoke specifically directly to him through many prophets in many cities and literally acted out what's about to happen. This was really good because it showed all the Christians that Paul's not going to be arrested for something he did wrong. He's innocent. It's God's will. And it also showed Paul that there's no getting out of it. This is what's next for you. But if you know that Paul was following what God revealed to him, we can do the same thing. For Paul, God spoke directly to him, but for us, God spoke through Paul and the apostles to us in his word. This is the word of God, the will of God, the ways of God. So you must know and apply God's word for everyday direction. We've got a few verses we'll put up on the screen. 2 Peter 1.21, Galatians 5.25. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the, here it is, Holy Spirit. The Word of God is the Holy Spirit's will for your life. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So we're given new life and direction day by day when we learn God's Word. I hope you have a plan to be in God's Word 
three, four, five times a week. I hope you've got a plan to close out this year in God's word. This is the main way that we are led by the spirit of God in the word of God. Do you have major future decisions coming up? Are you confused about where to live, who to date, what to go to school for, what to say to this person who you just want to blow up at? Do you have decisions you have to make? Are you in this book finding the verses that are directly or indirectly tied to your big decisions? There are specific things that you don't have to ask God about. God, do you want me to honor my parents? Uh, it's one of the big ten. So you're not going to search scripture for that one, okay? You know it. God wants you to tell the truth. He wants you to forgive your enemy. He wants you to love those who persecute you. He wants you to remain pure until marriage. He wants you to trust him when you don't have the answers. And he doesn't want you to be lazy. You know all that. So we have to live it out. Hey, surrender your future to Christ. Follow the Spirit. Know and apply God's word. That's what we're seeing modeled here in Scripture. And write this down. Pray fervently. Pray fervently. This is so beautiful. I love that they got down on their knees on the beach and prayed. They prayed. They prayed together. This is how they found the will of the Lord. This is how they enjoyed the presence of God. Prayer was an integral part of learning God's will. So if you know hard things are coming, if you know big decisions have to be made, are you willing to prayerfully surrender your future to God today? Are you willing to kneel down Go to the beach if you want to. I'm acting out the Bible. <laughs> Go to the beach if you want to, right? Kneel down and literally say, God, I surrender my future to you. Talk to him. Talk to him about your kids, your marriage, your job, your finances, your health, the next doctor's appointment. Talk to him and then surrender it all to him. Pray fervently. Then you can say like Paul, which is the climax of this first point in verse 13. I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they said, let the will of the Lord be done. Do you know how Christ-like this is? This is a total blatant parallel of Gethsemane. Other people saying, Jesus, don't do it. We're going to save you. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. Paul's ready to go and die. Christ is being formed in him. So when you lay down your life and say, not my will, but yours be done, you are like Christ. So number one, surrender your future to Christ. Follow the spirit. Know and apply the word. Pray fervently. Number two, jot this down, embrace loving community. This is also lifted out of these first 15 verses. Embrace loving spiritual community. I love how it says in verse chapter 21, 1, when we parted from them, tore ourselves away from them. They didn't want to get apart. The church loved being together. It says here in verse 5, they all with wives and children accompanied us outside the city, kneeling down. We prayed and said farewell. It says in verse 13, Paul said, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. They're, they're weeping. They're breaking his heart, saying, don't go. Don't. Can you imagine a room full of weeping people saying, Paul, don't go. 
don't go. You imagine that room. This, this is what loving spiritual community looks like. We are observing here heaven's love on earth because earth couldn't do this. Philip ran for his life when Paul was destroying the church. Now let's Paul stay with him and his four daughters. Do you realize how crazy that love is? Paul, who destroyed the church and killed Christians, they should be saying, go to Jerusalem and finally die, you murderer. And what are they saying? Don't go. They want to save him, and he wants to stay with them, but he can't. Do you see heaven's love here? Here's what we observed here. You can jot this down. If you want to fearlessly follow Christ, embrace loving community. Embrace loving community. We have to stay together. And listen, in an age where people are de-churching at higher levels than ever before, if you stay in your church family for an extended period of time, you are a revolutionary just by getting here. And listen, you need it, whether you see it or not. We have to gather faithfully. They planted churches everywhere, and Paul's stopping to see these local congregations. Do you want direction for your future? Do you want encouragement along the way? Do you want to be warned when things might be getting bad? Stay connected to other Christians. Embrace loving community. So many Christians today are anxious, depressed, isolated, and stuck, going nowhere or nowhere good because they're not in healthy spiritual community. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you've been in church, like, for a week, you will endure hurts, headaches, and heartbreaks. If I said turn to your neighbor and share a church drama story where you or somebody you know got hurt, I wouldn't be able to finish the sermon. The church is the body of Christ. Raise your hand if you have a body. <laughs> Checking to see if you're awake. Most of you have a body. Okay, I have a body, and last week I was getting ready to come to church, and my back went out just before I left. Now, thankfully, I wasn't preaching. Stephen brought it last week, and it was awesome. I was on the couch with a spasming back. I literally could not stand up. And if you have a body, you have stories of having problems with your body. Amen? Amen. I'm in my 40s. Do you want to know what I'm really excited about? I'm going to show you. Ready? I can touch my toes again. Just wait, wait, wait. Got it! Woo! Hey, look, if you're a part of the body of Christ, there's going to be aches and pains and headaches and back spasms. Amen? Amen. You might need to be like, I'm going to try to touch my toes again. <laughs> but you can't quit. Embrace loving spiritual community. Gather faithfully. Jot this down. Here's another thing we observe in the text. Give generously. Give generously. This is an application that comes from the context. So we know from other passages that Paul was traveling to Jerusalem with a fortune. The largest offering mentioned in the New Testament. He took up an offering in all of the Gentile churches that he had reached. 
And they were guarding, protecting, bringing it, because he's coming to town and he wants to give to the church in Jerusalem to bless the saints and further the kingdom of God. He's got a fortune because God's people gave to the work. Many gave to him directly as a missionary to support him. Many were giving to this offering for the poor in Jerusalem. He had a fortune with him. And all these Gentile regions are sending this fortune where? To Jerusalem? That is heaven's love. Generosity is essential for kingdom expansion. And we've been taught since we were young that we have to get, 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 get as much as we can. And folks, that's the pathway to ruin. If you want your kids to turn out okay, give them as much money as you can with no values. They'll be great. Have you read about what happens to lotto winners? Do you know, did you hear that, I've got a picture, somebody won $400,000 on a lottery ticket at the 7-Eleven in Palos Heights on Thursday. I've got a picture. Did you hear that? $400,000 winning lotto ticket in our town. And for a lot of people, that's what I want. As much money as humanly possible. The Bible warns us, he loves money, never has money enough. And why would we store up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy in these last days? You can't take it with you. So we know we have treasure in heaven. Do you know your portfolio in heaven is like all gold? Do you know that? Do you know that you're loaded already forever? Therefore, you can find joy in giving to God, his people, and his kingdom work. Time is short. Are you investing generously in the kingdom of God, the people of God? Maybe it's time for you to start giving generously. Maybe it's time for you to stretch yourself. But given what we're seeing in the passage here, given that we're seeing a fortune that has been collected, we have to realize, wow, these New Testament Christians are setting an example for us to follow. And they didn't have Walmart. And they didn't have... Humana, and they didn't have 401ks, and they're giving like crazy because the kingdom is growing. Gather faithfully, give generously, and write this down, care deeply, care deeply. They're weeping. Their hearts are broken for him. The love that they are enjoying with each other is what we should aspire to. goes on to say in verse 15, after these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh, of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Do you have somebody who you've known who, who's a Christian from a long time ago? Do you have like a really long-standing Christian friend? Maybe even someone you led to Christ. You know the sweetness when you get together. There's something that just settles in your soul. You're like, you know what? God is good. It actually works. Something lasts a long time. You know, Paul just has to be blessed that he's staying with this guy, one of his first disciples uh, from his first journey. So in verse 17, it goes on to say this. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went with us to James and all the elders. That's James, the half-brother of Jesus. All the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands of there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They're all zealous for the law. So um, we're going to 
Go to point three. You can write this down. Believe Jesus saves impossible people. Do you want to fearlessly follow Christ? Well, if you want to fearlessly follow Christ, surrender your future to him, embrace loving spiritual community, and believe that Jesus saves impossible people. Because Paul comes back to Jerusalem, the one who was sent out to destroy the church, he's back, the champion witness of the faith of Christ. Whoa! And then James? Good luck convincing anyone that you died and came back to life especially good luck convincing your brother. If you don't believe the gospel is true, look at the life of Paul, look at the life of James. The only explanation that these men are laying down their lives for this dead guy who rose again is it's true. That's it. Jesus saves impossible people. Do you have a hit list of people who you would love to see God save? I mean the bad apples in your life. Potty mouths. No hope for that person. Give God your list and watch him blow you away. Write this down. He saved the apostles. Paul, James, Peter. I never knew him. Peter? It's amazing proof that Jesus is alive. Write this down. The Jews. The Jews were zealous for the law. They believe Jesus is the risen Messiah. Whoa. Thousands of them who know the Old Testament now believe he is the risen Messiah who is talked about in the Old Testament. Wow! The Gentiles, write that down. The Gentiles, do you have any idea the enmity that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles? They wouldn't eat together. If you were a Jew, a non-Jew is a Gentile, and they are filthy dogs. Filthy dogs. Do you have filthy dogs? How many of you have filthy dogs? I don't know what you were doing at 11 p.m. last night, but I was sitting on the couch about to enjoy my extra hour of sleep, and then I saw a flea walking along, along my dog's belly. It's like, Cosmo Koala! It's his name. I used the middle name, but he's in big trouble. And then I start going through, and there's three more! And do you think he... So I go start the tub, and what do you think he does? Disappears. Now I'm on a Cosmo hunt. I find him. I drag him to the tub, throw him in there. He's a filthy dog! If you were a Jew, you were raised to see Gentiles as filthy dogs. They could spiritually contaminate your soul. And now, Paul shows up and says what's going on among the Gentiles, they're getting saved, and the Jews are rejoicing? This is impossible! Jesus saves impossible people. I don't know if maybe you feel like you're the impossible person. Maybe you feel like God would never save me given what I've done, where I've been, what I've said, what I've done. Never. You are wrong. God will save you. God will save you. Because he saves impossible people. Hey, don't give up on the impossible people in your life. Pray for them today that they will get saved. And believe Jesus saves impossible people. Surrender your future to Christ. Embrace loving spiritual community. Believe Jesus saves impossible people. And finally, witness with integrity. Witness with integrity. So it goes on to say in verse 21, they've been told about you, Paul, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Everybody gasp. Telling them not to circumcise their children. Gasp again. Or walk according to our customs. Gasp again. Paul's doing what? What a monster! 
What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. So problem one, believers are going to think Paul is denying the Old Testament. She's not. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there's nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself are living in observance of the law. It's fine for Paul to live in observance of the law. As a Jew, these things looked ahead to the Messiah. Now they, um, ahead to the promised Messiah. Now they look back to the risen Messiah. It's fine that he does this. As for the Gentiles, verse 25, who have believed, we've sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. This sounds confusing because Paul was there when we sent this out. It's not like James is informing Paul. They're saying we already covered this problem. Paul, a Jew, is going to handle himself. The Gentile problem we already covered. Then Paul took the men. The next day he purified himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. It's official. He is blameless. So write this down. Be blameless. Be blameless. Paul and James went out of their way to establish Paul's integrity. They're showing Christian Jews there's nothing problematic with Paul's witness. The solution, he fulfilled some pledges for Jewish men, completing Old Testament vows, seven days, special offerings. You have to understand that blatant sin discredits your witness. So are you being really careful to get rid of blatant sin in your life? You know, if you're at your work and you want to invite somebody to church and you're swearing like a sailor, that's blatant sin, okay? You're, you're, you're putting a fly in the ointment. So what is it that is discrediting your witness and how can you go out of your way with your language? Give some thought to this. How can you go out of your way with your language, your life habits, your lifestyle to be blameless? Not perfect, but they can't grab onto something and say, him, her, a Christian? Where could you be setting a better example? I'd love for you to just jot one thing down right there, right now. Here's an area where I need to tighten it up. Be blameless. Write this down. Surrender your rights. Surrender your rights. So specifically, act for the good of others in areas where you could indulge. Paul didn't have to do this, but he did it for the good of others. He didn't have to practice circumcision, follow food restrictions or vows, but he did at times because he pointed to the risen Messiah. Where in your life are you showing that humility? I could, but I won't because I know it could offend some people. I could, but I won't say that, watch that, go there, do that. This could affect your viewing habits. This could affect your vocabulary. This could affect how you solve conflict or get angry. I could, but I won't because I want to surrender my rights. And then prepare to suffer unjustly. Because after all of that, persecution is still coming. And Paul next week is going to get it. It's coming. And the end of this sermon is a dot, dot, dot. And next week, it's going to get bloody. And there's nothing he can do about it. So to close out, I just want to ask again. Are you fearlessly following Christ in loving spiritual community. I'm going to invite the worship team up here. We're going to sing our last song. And we'll do a brief update. We've filled some time into this service, so you don't have to run and get the kids. The elder updates can be about 10 minutes. But let's pray, sing our last song, and then we'll hear our final update.
Father, I know there are some here today in this room, and maybe they have never asked Jesus to be their Savior and Lord. Right here, right now, I pray that they would say, Jesus, save me, Spirit, fill me. Wash me whiter than snow. Take my guilt away. And I know there are also a lot of people who are afraid of the future. May they surrender it right now. May they say it right now. Jesus, I surrender my future to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.